Hey, this is Steve from Cold Weather Company, and you're listening to WTSR 91.3 FM at the College of New Jersey. Open your mind. You're listening to interviews from 91.3 FM WTSR radio station at the College of New Jersey. My name is Nancy Bowne. The Sourlands of New Jersey is a precious sanctuary for indigenous wildlife and plants near Hopewell, New Jersey. But through recent infestations of the emerald borer beetle, the ash trees, also the abundant natural canopy over the Sourlands, is being threatened. The Sourland Conservancy is an organization that has formed a team to save the future posterity of the ash tree. Today we are joined by Laurie Cleveland and Carolyn Klob, the Executive Director and the Stewardship Coordinator, as we discuss conservation efforts and plans for the future of the organization outreach during coronavirus. Um, so how long has the Ash Tree Crisis Team been around, like with the Sourland Conservancy? This is a very recent program that we've just begun. Uh, we received the news relatively recently that one million ash trees in the Sourlands uh, were going to die within the next few years. We had heard that the emerald ash borer was coming. It's an invasive insect that was introduced um, in Michigan several years ago, and Carolyn can speak more to the emerald ash borer, but it slowly crept its way across the U.S., uh, and now it has reached New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And it was brought, it was spread primarily through humans. So um, it can travel uh, very slowly normally, but through spread of firewood and things like that, it can, um, we can help move it along. It can hitchhike along. And so now it's here. And we knew that there were uh, dense thickets of ash trees in the Sourlands, and we knew that there were going to be a lot that were going to die, but we didn't realize the number was going to be so high until we asked the New Jersey Forest Service to come and give a talk, and, and uh, that's when we heard the news. One million ash trees are going to die in our 90 square mile Sourland Mountain region. And we knew we had to do something. Mm -hmm. So we started to go about our normal business of gathering volunteers to plant lots of native trees in public parks and preserves. Uh, And we are fortunate enough to have a great group of volunteers who does that um, on a regular basis. But with COVID, we had to change our plan we can't get together in those large groups any longer and some of the preserves were even closed so now we had to find a new way to replace the ash trees that were dying Mm -hmm. and we know that about one-third of our region is privately owned Mm -hmm. so people's yards and forests that are privately owned and so we decided to reach out to those folks who are in quarantine Mm -hmm. and uh We have a great stewardship program, uh, thanks to Carolyn and her crew, uh, who normally uh, teach homeowners, landowners, how to practice good stewardship on their own properties. Mm -hmm. So we really just merged those two initiatives to um, 
engage homeowners with replacing the ash trees that were dying. Mm -hmm. Carolyn, would you like to talk more about the Emerald Ash Borer? Sure. Um, so the Emerald Ash Borer is a beetle in the Coleoptera. Mm -hmm. um, and so what it came to the United States in 2002 and made its way to New Jersey in about uh, 2014. Mm -hmm. And I think it was first seen in some in Somerset County. So that's within the Sourland Mountain region. And mm -hmm. um, so what emerald ash borer does is it lays its eggs on the bark of the tree. And then when the eggs hatch, the larvae work their way in to the tree and start eating in that cambium layer. So mm -hmm. when you look at a tree, you can see the bark, and then there's the cambium layer underneath, and that's where the actively dividing cells are that produce the xylem and phloem, which are the nutrient transport of the tree. And so they're in there and they're eating, eating, eating. And so it basically starves the tree. And so when you start to see ash trees decline, usually you're gonna see them declining from the top down. So the uppermost part of the tree is gonna start dying back and then it kind of works its way down the tree. And so a lot of homeowners had reached out to us saying, what's going on with my ash tree? Because all the bark is being peeled off and they couldn't figure out what was going on. And mm -hmm. what it is is that woodpeckers go after the emerald ash borer emerging from the trees. And so they scratch off all that bark and it's called blonding when that happens. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really, really striking. And especially here in the Sourland Mountain region, in parts of our forest, 20% of the canopy is ash. In other places like by Baldpate, it's 70%. Mm -hmm. of, our, of our tree canopy is, is um, ash trees. So that's a, it's a very large percent of your trees having this weird thing happening to them. They can't quite figure out what's going on and, and that's what it is. And if you get up close to the bark, you can see all these little D-shaped holes um, where the emerald ash borer emerges from the tree. Mm -hmm. So are these trees found in other regions in New Jersey or is it primarily in Somerset County? Oh, yeah, and you'll find uh, ash trees all over, mm -hmm. um, all over New Jersey. There's some areas that have higher concentration than others, mm -hmm. um, but emerald ash borer doesn't just affect like green ash and white ash, mm -hmm. which are the two species that we have here, mm -hmm. or the main species that we have here. There's, um, I think, more than five species of ash in the United States, and, the, and it affects all of them, some more than others, but um, they're all susceptible to it. Have there been any other uh, risks to, to these trees other than the ash borers? Um, down for other reasons or? Well, they're, they're a great tree for lumber. You know, they're used a lot. Um, so they've been harvested that way. I mean, with any uh, biological organism or all organisms, uh, climate change can definitely affect you know, what's going on with them. As far as I know, I can't think of anything that is as big of a threat or has been as big of a threat as um, emerald ash borer, but just general, you know, loss of habitat with development. There's fewer places for these trees to grow. Um, they were used as street trees um, because they're just really beautiful trees with great canopy. Um, but with emerald ash borer, they're all dying. So they're all getting cut down. So, I mean, it's a real shame. Mm -hmm. Once the um, ash burrow goes into the tree, is there a way to save it or is it or a way to like eradicate the ash burrow? Um, so the emerald ash borer, uh, if they're 
if the tree is, has just been infected mm -hmm. or infested rather, um, you can do a systemic uh, herb, um, pesticide treatment where they drill a hole into the, the bark of the tree and they inject a pesticide, which will kill the emerald ash borer. Um, but that has to be done every year, maybe every other year. So it's gonna be a continual treatment. So it's not really something that's sustainable to do on a large scale, so like in the forest. So if you have a tree on your property that you really, really love and you wanna invest the money to save it, that's one option. However, if the infestation has gone on for a long time, there's not really anything that you can do. And especially from the first time the tree is infested to when it dies is usually about one to three years. So it's pretty quick. Um, we are seeing a little bit of natural resistance to emerald ash borer. Mm -hmm. um, I was reading a paper and it said um, less than 1% mm -hmm. of green ash are resistant. So in the Sirelands, we have green ash and white ash. Mm -hmm. um, and, and less than 1% is a very small number, but it is, you know, some hope. Mm -hmm. And so what I would encourage anybody to do if they have an ash on their property, do not cut it down unless it is dead because that tree might have some sort of resistance to the emerald ash borer, whether they're able to produce some sort of compound, like a chemical compound that, that will kill the, the emerald ash borer on its own. Mm -hmm. um, but we're not going to know that until later on. So if you have an ash, don't cut it down unless it's dead. So to get into the history of the um, Ash Tree Crisis Team, I was reading how it, your team is spread across the United States, like from, like you said, your, um, the, um, uh, the Emerald Ash Borer was found in Michigan. So how has it been working as a team and like collecting research together on such a large um, landscape? It's been great. Uh, we're really fortunate to have volunteers from all over the country. This is our first initiative where we have been able to spread our arms so wide. The Sauerland region itself is only 90 square miles. So Hillsborough to Lambertville, roughly Flemington to Pennington. Uh, so normally our volunteers come from within that region, a little bit outside the region. Uh, lots of folks enjoy visiting the Sourlands, so within driving distance, people are generally willing to come and pitch in with plantings or with events. But uh, since we had this virtual opportunity, because we're all at home, as we all are today, uh, we were able to get volunteers from a much broader area. In fact, the entire United States. It's really terrific. Yeah. Certainly a benefit of, um, if there is like a benefit to coronavirus having this virtual platform. <laughs> really, it's odd because having people physically separated this way, uh, it, it took us a little while to figure out how to connect with people. We are very much a face-to-face -face organization. We have very loyal members and they come out to events and we host large events and we have you know two big fundraisers every year and everyone loves to come to the Sarland Mountain Fest and the Sarland Spectacular see your friends and have a good time 
And uh, these public plantings, as I was uh, saying earlier, are really a lot of fun where you can see a big open field or a big open space or a terribly degraded stream bank and you know that you can go in there and that this group of people are going to make a difference and it feels really good. So since we've all been separated, physically separated, um, we were feeling a little bit, um, I don't know, untethered. We didn't know what to do. So we've managed to make the, um, to pivot our programming so that we can work in this way. Mm -hmm. And it's been great um, reaching out to people from all over the country who are also looking to connect in a new way. And so we've been able to not only work with these volunteers, but the volunteers themselves have been able to connect with people who've already been fighting this ash tree problem for a while. And so we've been able to learn from them. So that's one benefit of being in quarantine is that we really have been able to reach out to a, a much larger group of people. Um, but yes, we'll really be looking forward to to coming out. <laughs> Have you still been able to plant trees since like uh, during quarantine? Okay <laughs> so we as an organization we haven't been able to do any public planting since we're in quarantine so that's why we've been reaching out to homeowners to be able to work with them to plant on their own property. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we encourage people who live in the Sourland region to do is to shrink the size of their yards and to plant native plants because really they are living within this very important ecosystem. The Sourland Mountain region uh, hosts lots of endangered plants and animals and some folks who live here don't even realize how important their own property is. And I would broaden that to say that people's lawns are important everywhere ecologically. And planting plants and trees that are native to your region is an important step that you can make. A lot of people realize that um, monarchs and milkweed have this relationship that's critical in order to be able to save the monarch but uh, the monarch just has a better press than the other insects that also are specialists. And uh, there are lots and lots of specialists actually that um, rely on every single native plant as they have co-evolved, they really need each other. And so when you plant things in your yard that aren't native, uh, they're not really benefiting those animals and insects like a native plant would. And as we see insect numbers declining, bird numbers are quickly following uh, worldwide. And I think what folks may not realize is that they can make a difference, not just by planting milkweed, but by planting many native plants. Uh, and they may not see a monarch, but they might see some other very interesting visitors to the yard who will be really thankful that they provided uh, food and shelter for them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and, and if you think about like milkweed where that's, that's supporting a monarch, um, it's more, and you know, other butterflies might nectar on that plant, but if you think of like a white oak that has hundreds of, of caterpillar species that use that as a host plant, or the Eastern red bud, which is a beautiful little shrub, and that hosts like 124 different species of caterpillars. So, you know, I think that we often forget about our trees as a resource for pollinators and, and for insects. 
And when we think about our ecosystem, we have to think of it as our food chain and, and as the trophic level. So like if you have a really great base where you have a really great com plant community that's diverse in the different types of species that you have, and diverse in the different um, sizes. So whether they're little grasses, that again, we don't really think about our native grasses that are also super important. Mm -hmm. And our herbaceous plants and our shrubs and our trees, each of those support different organisms and, and in different ways in different parts of their life. Um, and so when we talk to our, our members and the residents of the Sourland Mountain region, we wanna encourage them to think broadly about their ecosystem. Because if you wanna support you know, your birds, you have to first support their food source and you need to support their food sources food source and it brings us all the way back down to plants and so for us we're constantly you know beating that drum of plant native plants plant native trees um, and as we're losing this canopy to the emerald ash borer it's opening up the canopy so that all this sunlight is coming down and that's going to change the plant community at the forest floor level too you know and Right now we have a really big problem with deer. Um, there are too many deer in this area and they're eating all the native plants and they're leaving the invasive plants. So it's just compounding that same issue. Mm -hmm. um, and so we really want our, our residents in this region to plant native trees and protect them from deer herbivory so they can reach above that deer brow line. So above five and a half feet and start getting their way to their canopy to start creating some shade and, and supporting that ecosystem that, that is currently there. Yeah. It's fascinating how the ecosystem is so interconnected. And we're part of it. Yeah. And that's something that humans really need to recognize. And, and I think it's easy for us to forget when we're going about our lives that, that we really are part of this ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And we can make a really big difference in benefiting it. Normally, people are cast as the villain in these ecological discussions. But here, we can really be the hero where we can go in and make a difference by making some really small changes in the way that we view ourselves as part of this ecosystem and also as we view other members of that same ecosystem like bees and caterpillars who are also normally um, viewed as the enemy of someone who's trying to keep a beautiful yard but when you think about when you think about monarchs and milkweed the reason why milkweed is important to monarchs it's not that monarchs won't land on another flower or take advantage of another type of flower but a milkweed plant actually um, sustains the entire life cycle of that monarch so that it can actually as a caterpillar eat the milkweed which is what's so special about it i've actually had people call me and say oh no what am i going to do i've planted these milkweeds so the monarchs can take advantage of them but caterpillars are eating them and, and it's, it's true that caterpillars do eat them. We need to be able to welcome those caterpillars into our yards. And it's kind of a stretch for some homeowners who, you know, we've been kind of indoctrinated into this idea of caterpillars bad, they've got to go. But in fact, they're the baby butterflies. You can't have butterflies without caterpillars. So we need to embrace the whole thing. Right. And there's some really funky looking caterpillars they are really cool. So, you know, that could just be its own exploration on its own to see many different type of caterpillars and take a guess of what type of butterfly or moth it's going to turn into. I mean, 
could just be a really fun experiment to have in your own in your own backyard yeah. in your own little adventure so you know I definitely think people should encourage caterpillars and all sorts of things that you know you might have shied away from in the beginning yeah I would encourage people who are interested in this type of thing to join our Facebook group our Sourland Stewards Facebook group where you can see lots of people photographing things like that and asking questions uh, questions like this are welcome in that group because there are lots of folks who are just beginners and there are lots of experts there too who can chime in and answer questions like what is this crazy looking thing? Is it good or bad? It's eating up my entire whatever. And you can say, oh, well, that's a spice bush caterpillar. It's a very crazy looking. It almost looks like some sort of, I don't even know what, sci-fi, but it's, it's native and it's good. Um, yeah, and, and they can ask other questions in that group too. You can go on iNaturalist as well. You can see the Sourland region as a place on this um, iNaturalist website or app, and you can take pictures of things and upload them there that you've seen, and folks can chime in and say, whoa, hey, here's an interesting fact about this thing, or you can learn a lot. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely a really good community online, especially right now for in like environmental activism and like discovery of the outdoors. I also noticed on your website, you're offering kits um, that homeowners can start like so they can plant their own ash trees. Could you explain this process a bit more? So they're not, um, the these tree kits are not actually for ash trees, but they're to reforest because the ash trees are dying. So we chose other tree species because right now, um, with this gen generation of ash trees, we kind of have the feeling that they're just not going to survive because of the emerald ash borers. We want to make sure that um, there's something there to take their place. And not to say that the ash trees won't come back, but right now it doesn't look so good for them. So the trees that we picked um, are tulip poplar, tulip poplar, liriodendron tulipifera. Uh, we also picked um, shadbush, Amelanchier canadensis, and persimmon, Diasporus virginiana. Um, each of these trees are native, um, and they have different uh, attributes and, and resources for native uh, insects and for birds. So tulip poplar is a really big, big tree. Um, it's one of the tallest ones that are in our forest and it has flowers um, really really early in the spring that are great for hummingbirds that are migrating here um, and for early butterflies and moths and um, persimmon is a fruiting tree and it can be anywhere between 50 feet to about 100 feet um, and it has really big well one to two inch fruits that are edible for humans and for animals. Um, you just wanna make sure that it's ripe when you eat it because it's really astringent when it's not ripe. And uh, shadbush, which is more of a shrub and we generally call things shrubs when they have multiple stems versus one straight or one trunk. And it has really showy flowers early in the spring. So it's really great for those early uh, pollinating insects and it has edible fruit that um, 
birds like cedar waxwings and northern mockingbirds and catbirds, they all, all eat it and we can eat it too. Um, and they provide habitat and food for over 120 different species of caterpillars. So it's another really great choice. With the ash trees, um, we're hoping maybe in a couple of years there'll be either a biological control, which I think they release some sort of wasp that'll attack the emerald ash borer, or if we have more information about the trees that are naturally resistant, you know, and allow them to cross-pollinate with each other so that their offspring will also be resistant to emerald ash borer. So that's kind of the things that we're hoping for, but we're not gonna go out and start trying to plant um, ash trees just because, you know, we really wanna focus on things that are not being threatened right now and try to get them in the ground. Um, so through the, um, are there any other, um, so at the Sourland Conservancy, what are some other projects that are in the works, like aside from the ash tree crisis team? Well, we have a lot of things, am I on? Oh, good. Yeah. Uh, we have a lot of things going on, actually. We are partnering with the Stoutsburg Sourland African American Museum to create the first African American Museum in central New Jersey. And that museum is uh, humming along nicely. It's not open for regular hours yet, but it is open occasionally for groups to come and visit. And we do host events with them as well. So once we're out of quarantine, we'll be able to enjoy those kinds of public events with them again as well. We are working with them to build a building that we can use as an exhibit space and we'll have offices with them as well. Um, the museum was, um, be it began as a project of the Conservancy and it has now spun off and it's its own nonprofit and we partner together with them. And uh, so now we're looking to build an office space and exhibit space uh, with them. So that's also moving forward, even though we're all at home, uh, because the Sourland Conservancy, we, our mission is to protect, promote, and preserve the unique character of the Sourland region. It's not just the ecology, it's also the history and culture of the region as well. So that's a very exciting project that is ongoing. And we do other projects throughout the year. We also host free guided hikes and educational seminars, which we are working to move all of that type of educational programming online too. Uh, we also have a book that um, Jim Amen, who is a former board member of the Sourland Conservancy, uh, he's also a wonderful naturalist and photographer, and he's just released a book, and he does talks now to support that book online occasionally and we have one coming up please stay tuned visit our website sourland.org to check that out uh, also follow us on facebook and instagram for information about those public talks he is just an amazing amazing person and it's just wonderful to hear him talk and he's so knowledgeable about all of the plants and animals in the region and he does lots of research and it's always fascinating to hear his take on things and then when you go out you can see some of the things that he's talking about and you can learn from his point of view it's it's really phenomenal so that's another exciting thing that's happening even though we're all <laughs> at home. Yeah.
<laughs> and for some projects that uh, hopefully when this quarantine is lifted, we have a stream monitoring program. Uh, the Sourland Mountain is headwaters to stream to fresh water that uh, flows down to the Raritan Delaware River and provides fresh water for millions of people in Pennsylvania, New Jersey. Um, and a lot of those streams are not being monitored. So we started a, a stream monitoring program with the Watershed Institute and NJDEP and the New Jersey Watershed Ambassadors. And we've been training people to go out and collect information about stream health. So looking at the whole riparian area, which is that the land, the area between where water meets the land and looking at whether there's native plants there, if there's erosion, what's the tree canopy like? And they also do a biological collection where they go and they collect aquatic insects. Um, they're called aquatic macroinvertebrates and they identify them and sort them and look at species diversity and the quantities that they find. We also have um, a couple of restoration projects going on. We have our foraging forest in Hopelboro Park, which is a native plant restoration full of native edible plants. And we have a restoration site over at Baldpate Mountain where we removed invasive plant species and protected some native seedlings there and, and immature trees. Um, we also um, have a regular group that goes out and removes invasive species on, on local preserves. And we are partnering with DNR Greenway on a riparian restoration project at um, near Cedar Ridge Preserve. And we're also partnering with Hillsborough Township um, at Auto Farm Park there for another riparian restoration. So we have a lot of things in the works, just some of it's on hold, but um, you know, we've partnered with Hunterdon Land Trust and with Watershed Institute, Friends of Hopewell Valley Open Space, Lambertville Goes Wild, um, DNR Greenway. I mean, we just want to partner with every organization that we can to fulfill our mission of protecting and promoting, preserving the Sourland Mountain region. So we just we love teamwork and we're eager, you know, to work with anybody that's doing good stuff. Conservation and helping the environment. Um, yes, sure. I would like to invite people to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, reach out to us, follow, um, sign up for our e-newsletter, email us if they have questions. We're a resource for everyone who lives in the Sourland region, and uh, we also love volunteers, so if any corporate community groups or individuals would like to contact us about volunteering, they could visit our websites www.sourland.org to check out all volunteer opportunities. There's a general volunteer um, form that you can just fill out that says what type of work you'd like to do or what type of work you're interested in doing or things that you'd like to learn. And we're happy to show you the ropes if you don't know anything at all about whatever it is we're happy to help we love volunteers we love reaching out to organizations and individuals and partnering with them too um, yes and people uh, just embracing the natural world i know we were talking earlier about some of the odd 
um, benefits that we have found being in quarantine. Folks seem to be getting outside more and looking to reconnect with nature, and that's wonderful. Uh, lots of people seem to be using the preserves, getting out, going for walks, biking, um, birding, gardening. Lots of people have had a lot more time to spend and really it's a wonderful thing to reconnect with the natural world and we would love to help facilitate that as well. If anyone has any questions about things that they saw and they're wondering what it is or just want to know more about it, we are happy to help uh, spread the word about all the native plants and animals here. And if folks want to know what they can do at home to help nurture nature in their own backyard or even on their patio, window box, or in a pot, uh, there are ways that you can help support wildlife here in the Sourlands and everywhere. Thank you for listening. As always, we remind you that you can check out more content and podcasts online at WTSOR.org, on the air, or on our podcast channel. And remember to open your mind.